RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. It's Wednesday, and that means Legal Hub here at Reality Check Radio. It's our regular Wednesday feature. We've got a full crew back with us with Nick Kearney back after two. Where, where, where were you, Nick, when we needed you most? Various, various things occupying my life in the last three Tuesday nights. But, and sadly, you won't think that, gee, uh, are they all more important than this? Actually, they were. In fact, last Tuesday, I was at the premiere of the movie The River of Freedom. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, which was which was just, uh, I guess, uh, you know, in, in, on the one hand, it was a little bit um, traumatic, I suppose, to see all that again. And, you know, I sat there shaking my head during a lot of it, thinking, oh, my God, I, can't, I just can't believe what went on um but on the other hand quite cathartic as well so um caught up with a lot of people i hadn't seen in a long time so no it was a great it was a great night yeah i went and saw it in wellington and uh, the the thing that um impressed me full house full house over 700 here in wellington that's yeah well the civic the civic in auckland on the corner of queen and wellesley uh there were uh huge crowds outside for um half an hour before the doors even opened and they were piling up up the street and oh some of them had um drums and playing a bit of music was a great was a great scene but yes again the civic i don't know what the capacity of the civic is i would imagine it easily a thousand there were it was was packed to the brimstones there were you know the standing room only uh, if you could in fact walk in standing or watch it standing you wouldn't be allowed to anyway so yep same point um people everywhere tells you a lot katie yeah. ashby coppins hey katie nice to have you back Thank you, thank you. I've been holding, I've been holding the, um, holding it together for our legal hub while holding the away. fort. Holding the um, fort. Well, it sounds like at this rate that um, a River of the Freedom may uh, gross Barbie. <laughs> what here? Yeah. <laughs> no, it's good to see. I'm desperate to see it, so I look forward to it. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's it's, and I think it's um, had an effect where people who wouldn't normally have kind of been in that zone before, uh, now, thanks to that movie, you know, thinking a bit more expansively about what happened, let's say. Let me put it that way. Yeah. That's a good thing. It's a time timing thing, isn't it? So we are seeing a lot of things happening in that area and that space and a broadening and a questioning and, a, mm, well, maybe things weren't quite so bad. It was all pretty dramatic. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, was it really necessary? And I think the, the government's done a lot to undermine themselves and so is mainstream media. So there's a huge amount of distrust there uh, happening even in um, people that were very pro the public health response. So Yeah, yeah. Mm. All right, so we've got some interesting um, legal issues to chew on here. Uh, the first one is really fascinating because um, I've heard people say, and I've wondered myself throughout this period, you know, what about that contract that our government, on behalf of us, signed with Pfizer? I remember it came out about a year and a half ago, nearly two years ago, the price per dose was leaked in New Zealand, and I think it was like $36 a dose. Okay, well, you can kind of work out what we've spent. But I remember the reaction of Christopher Hipkins at the time, I think he was either the health minister or the COVID response minister, was he was worried what Pfizer would think of them. So I thought it was an un, unusual thing to say. It was like he was scared of um, the supplier when you're the customer and the customer's always right, okay? So we've never seen that contract, but we're starting to get maybe an insight into it from other contracts they've signed with, I suppose you could say like countries. 
So, Katie, we've, we can talk about that. Yes, we certainly can. So um, last week there was a decision in South Africa where the judge required the release of the South African uh, Pfizer contract. And that has uh, feverishly circulated uh, globally uh, and it's been useful because uh, we've now been able to compare the South African version of the contract against the other ones that have been made publicly available. So um, we've had available to us now for some time the Albanian, Colombian, Chile, uh, Dominican Republic, European, US, UK and Peru. Um, and I'll share that link in our um, uh, replay. That uh, really is interesting because you do start to see the flavour of um, the provisions and those that are coming through. And, uh, you know, there's a lot to be said for semantics and there's a lot to be said for what's stated in these contracts. Uh, there were multiple supply agreements to between New Zealand and Australia, and we uh, sorry, between New Zealand and Pfizer, and uh, they were actually given uh, in our kids' case in New Zealand uh, to the lawyers only on undertaking that they wouldn't disclose them. Uh, so uh, David Jones KC actually took the judge in the kids' case in New Zealand piece by piece to certain provisions in the contract while not publicly uh, discussing them. Uh, so the judge did get to see uh, provisions, uh, which, you know, if you're seeing this continuity around the contract provisions, uh, perhaps they are also provisions that were in the New Zealand case. I didn't get to see the contracts in the New Zealand case because um, I wasn't a lawyer in, well, I'm not a lawyer in New Zealand, but I was only helping in, in that case. So that stayed in amongst the legal team. But, you know, we're seeing provisions in these contracts which are pretty damn telling. And one of the ones that I find particularly interesting, and it will feed into the clause that Nick will read out in a minute, is the purchaser, which is the New Zealand government on our behalf, well, or the South African government, because I'm talking about the South African contract, acknowledges and agrees that Pfizer's efforts to develop and manufacture the product, the COVID-19 jabs, are aspirational in nature and subject to significant risks and uncertainties. Aspirational. Aspirational. Um, an incredible word. I think they chose it because they couldn't put experimental in there because that wouldn't have been ideal, but aspirational in nature. And um, the meaning of aspirational uh, is having a having or characterised by aspirations to achieve something, um, a hope or ambition of achieving something. Hope, hope. Now, I'm not sure what that hope and um, uh, ambition was, whether it was uh, to make an awful lot of money or to actually stop COVID. Uh, but, you know, aspirational in nature is the word that I landed on. And you can see that in, in the other contracts, the Albanian, um, Peru and the like. So definitely uh, all of the governments that signed their people up to these products were told that... Um, in the contracts we've seen, these products were aspirational. So that is a replacement word for experimental, is really what we could say, a substitute <laughs> word. I am not, um, I, I'm, I'm not, uh, I don't write dictionaries or no, I know. an um dictionary. But... but why would you, why, why would you use that word? It, it sounds like it's, it's, it's a loose word. Yeah, look, it's, it's, yeah, someone had fun 
in the um, contractual uh, department writing those provisions up. Well, I know in you know when they're testing aeroplanes, they've got to write experimental on the door. It's part of the legal stuff. They don't write aspirational. <laughs> Hopefully it's going to stay in the air. Yeah, that's we aspire <laughs> to it. Not We aspire yeah. to fly. <laughs> yeah, okay. All right, yeah, so we look, can assume that that um, South African, uh, the piece from the South African deal is kind of what is in our deal. There hasn't, there's a continuity between the contracts that suggests that um, there was not much, not many amendments um, between the countries' contracts that we can see available. And, you know, they're all there, they're all available, those countries that I mentioned before. So, um, you know, I implore you to go and have a look yourself and, and to drill through them because, you know, what you're seeing, same font type, same document. Clearly Pfizer wrote these contracts. They went to the countries. And we do know that they made it quite difficult for other countries to amend the provisions. Um, India, for example, uh, refused to sign uh, certain provisions and Pfizer said, oh, well, you're not getting our product. And, you know. So, so we can assume that our people would not have objected really to anything in that contract probably. Well, they would have rolled I, I, over. We can't tell. The contracts I, I know, were but, drafted but, behind doors. But if you've got um, Christopher Hipkins suggesting that Pfizer might be upset with us because someone released the price per dose. These products were signed up to on our behalf by the government. The fact that these contracts are still not being um, uh, pub made publicly available is atrocious. It is, it is, it, there is absolutely no reason for them to be. It sets up commercial arrangements. If you, if Pfizer is particularly worried about the ingredients, which it still hasn't told everybody what's in these things, then uh, you know, our country is doing a disservice to its people. It's dancing to the wrong master. Nick, what do you think about this? Well, the word aspirational uh, is interesting because, as you say, Paul, it, uh, it, it sort of suggests that we hope that this product does something. And I remember in one of the Senate inquiries in America, uh, there was a doctor from the CDC, a female doctor, and I forget her name, Katie May. Rochelle Walensky. Michelle Walensky, there we go. And she was uh, grilled by a Republican uh, senator uh, about uh, the transmissibility of the of, of COVID after people had taken the vaccine and after millions of doses had been handed out. And in Senate testimony, uh, she said, uh, and, you know, this is a long time since I've, I've viewed the uh, the footage, but something along the lines of what we just hoped that it would um, it would halt or prevent or limit transmission. Uh, we just hoped that, that that what would happen, but clearly it didn't happen. So uh, the hope, the hope that not only was you know set out in the documents uh, in the contract that Pfizer put forward that governments had to sign, uh, but clearly the scientists uh, as well who were uh, administering uh, or, or looking after the administration of this product to the people of the countries also had the same uh, inverted commas hope that it would do a job. Um, so. I, don't, I mean, it's um, it carries on, and I mean, I don't know. Katie mentioned the other words, but it says that uh, the clause in the contract says aspirational in nature and subject to significant risks and uncertainties. Uh, but then, you know, of course, interestingly, we were all told, as, as you know, all that it was safe and effective. That couldn't uh, be that. That is the complete opposite of safe and effective. You couldn't the, get more opposite than that. Well, you know, 
as, as a commercial lawyer, I'm thinking, can these people be sued under the Fair Trading Act for misleading and deceptive conduct? Because that, that statement, safe and effective, was parroted by everybody uh, from politicians, Prime Minister, Minister of Health, Ashley Bloomfield, et cetera, et cetera, all the way through, and then repeated by media, talkback hosts, and the like, uh, and programmed into a lot of people in the country. It's a safe and effective, uh, and we were, you know, um, ushered off to uh, to rooms to be given this jab uh, on the basis that we should believe these people when they say it's safe and effective. When they signed a contract that says it's subject to significant risk and uncertainties. Not only mm. that, there's another, there's another clause in the contract that says the purchaser, which is the government, acknowledges the long-term effects and efficacy of the vaccine are not currently known. And this is, this is when South Africa signed this contract. The signatures went on it. That clause said, at the moment you are signing it, the long-term effects and efficacy of the vaccine are not currently known. We don't know. And that there may be adverse effects of the vaccine that are not currently known. Um, no wonder they didn't want anyone it, to see the contract. Now, now this, this isn't this isn't a this isn't a letter of intent or a you know precursor heads of agreement or something that people might want to read before they enter into the meaty part of the contract. This is actually in the contract that was signed by the Ministry of Health or whatever they call it in South Africa. Um, at the time they signed it. The words were, the efficacy and effects of the va vaccine are not currently known, and there may be adverse effects of the vaccine that are not currently known. Uh, further, further, the vaccine is not serialised, and that probably not as, that's probably, I'd say not as, I think that's equally as significant. It means, in my research and understanding of, of, of serialised, means that there were no serial numbers applied to individual batches and vials. So therefore, each individual, you know, you, you couldn't tell, uh, you know, which one Paul was put into Paul's arm or Katie's arm or John's arm. They, they, you, you can't trace it, so you don't know. That's incredible. That really yeah. is chillingly yeah. incredible. Yeah, it, it, it absolutely is. Uh, and, uh, and, as, and as Katie said, um, you know, I think we can assume that the New Zealand contract was relatively similar. I don't, you know, I've dealt with big organisations and commercial contracts and negotiations and uh, and the like, and you get and you get very little change out of these these contracts. They almost have a take it or leave it um, scenario. Um, you might be able to argue around the margins of a couple of small things, but really the the power of a, of a company like Pfizer in a situation that you know, there was a inverted commas pandemic. Literally, it would be, you know, we can save you, sign here. And, oh, we, we'd like to change it. Ah, no, there'll be no changes, thank you very much. Uh, and, and not only, you know, not only um, did it have those clauses, there were also wide-ranging indemnities, very wide-ranging. And um, and there was a document I saw, which I'm sh I think it was, um, the veracity of which I don't think can be questioned, but there was an indemnity, a separate indemnity document signed by the Minister of Finance, I think, um, in favour of uh, Pfizer, indemnifying Pfizer against any actions that the people of New Zealand might take against Pfizer in regard to the vaccine. I'm so, that, so, so Pfizer yeah. has literally, I mean, if you use the term laughing all the way to the bank, because they literally were laughing all the way to the bank, 
because uh, I've got a, a, something I'm reading here from just January this year that they sold last year in 2022 $38 billion worth of its COVID vaccine, an increase of 3% on the year before. Gosh. So you so imagine if, if if it was sold to New Zealand, let's say that there, there's some crossover in our deal um, with the South African wording there. So if you came out and said, we want you to take it, we hope it works. <laughs> it's aspirational. We hope it works. By the way, there may be adverse effects because there's not really any safety data. And none of the batches are serialized. So if something happens, we we can't go back to the source. But apart from that... <laughs> and, and, and if something does go wrong and people start dying, there are indemnities, New Zealand yep. government, that, that if people start to sue Pfizer from New Zealand, you, the taxpayer, will pay our losses, if we have yeah. any. But apart from that, safe and effective. Safe and effective. Incredible. And and thank you very much for your kind vaccinations. Uh, in the telethons that they had, and the you know, the $50 KFC vouchers in the, in the poor communities in South Auckland and what have you. That was one of the scenes in Rivers of Free or River of Freedom that stood out was that vaccathon. I thought it was yes. horrible. Yes, oh. yes. Uh, um, so, and when, and of course, you know, when the people of this country push back on all of this, and and particularly the manda- mandate that this was mandated. Remember, you would lose your job, uh, your life, your business, your livelihood. You couldn't go to the library. You couldn't swim in the pool. You couldn't go for walk. You couldn't go to a cafe or restaurant without your pass, without taking this thing. Um, and people started to push back and say, "Well, hang on a sec. Um, do I really have to?" Um, you know, you were told, well, no, no, you don't, you don't have to, but it's the same as, you know, basically the same as, um, uh, I'm walking on the plank. Do I have to? Well, no, you don't have to walk on a plank and jump in the ocean, but if you turn around and walk back, there's a double barrel shotgun staring at you. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like so, being robbed uh, in a bank, you know, people, give me the money. No. Okay. I'll blow your head off. <laughs> and people, yeah. And people push back. You didn't have a choice and, though. And protesters, and they were outcasted, were cast as as the villains in all of this thing. It's incredible. I, it's, I, I, it is incredible, and and I will never forget uh, to the day I die. I will never forget um, the episode in this country uh, over that two year period. Uh, and going to that movie last week, I say, was quite cathartic actually. Um, Have we got anything more to say about this particular issue? Just that this really does tie into the situation where doctors weren't able to give informed consent. You know, doctors weren't given the opportunity to tell people this information. Instead, we had the um, uh, podium of truth spouting out their daily messaging um, and, you know, safe and effective. You have to get this done. People were forced to get it done. They weren't coerced. They were actually forced to get it done. And people should actually be pretty damn furious that they've been so atrociously lied to. Um, of course, if those provisions exist in New Zealand's contracts, and we won't know until um, the ombudsman uh, actually makes a decent uh, ruling in that regard. Well, you'd have to do it now, though, wouldn't you? You'd have to do it now. Well, they'd have to do it now. With this out and about, we need to know. You For would... people's own health safety. Look, we might be able to see it with um, if, it, if a new court case is, is lodged, but you know, documents discovered in a court case can only be used in that court case. Um, it was interesting that in South Africa it got released. Um, 
in the way that it did. So I'm still waiting for a copy of the decision. Um, and we'll make comment on that when I can. Okay. Wow. Boy, okay. All right, next issue. Court bars Biden administration, CDC, and FBI from pressuring online platforms to censor. Mm. Okay. That's good. Yeah, so we got a decision, um, uh, I think it was earlier this week, uh, from the Fifth Circuit Court, U.S., Missouri and Biden. Um, it was just released and a bit of a mixed bag in the decision. Um, it's 74 pages, uh, but one of the uh, best things to have come from it was that the judge found that the White House, acting in concert with the Surgeon General, um, likely coerced the platforms to make their modernization decisions by way of intimidating messages and threats of adverse consequences and significantly encourage the platform's decisions to by com commandeering their decision-making processes, both in violation of the First Amendment, which is um, freedom of speech. So, commandeering? How, how do you do that? Well, they obviously got their um, talons into the um, uh, systems operators and ensured that uh, the messaging was the messaging that they so wished. Or so it took any... over the moderation, basically. It looks like it. Commandeering requires, wow. it, it alludes to a physical act of being involved. Um, you know, there was, and I'm sure that we're only seeing a portion of what was actually going on, yeah, that but which they're prepared to let us see. Would there be cooperation discovery. with, you know, from the, the platforms, though, because you'd, you'd think if you owned a platform like that, you'd say, rack off, get out, you know. But their no. funding, uh, I imagine that whoever is their shareholders, whoever has a, a, a say in those fund, uh, in those platforms, you know, they would be putting significant pressure on. BlackRock, Vanguard. I, I couldn't speculate. I don't know who's. Um, well, they own everything, don't they? Uh, I, yeah, look, and, and shareholding, you know, it's exactly like what we're seeing in the WHO. Yeah, someone, a private public funder puts some money in and, of course, they want you to dance to their tune. That's, you know, the money comes with ties. It's not given voluntarily. Uh, so, you know, we could be seeing that too, um, that there is pressure not just from the government but also um, internally from within the, uh, the funders. This confirms then that that was actually going on. Yes, that sort of proves that that was happening. Well, I think the tw I think the Twitter files actually showed that, Paul. Mm -hmm. um, the Twitter files were quite clear when they came out um, some months ago that that the administration at the time was in cahoots uh, with the CDC and with the um, some of the owners at the time of Twitter. Of course, it wasn't Elon Musk, I don't think, at the time uh, to heavily censor. Um, and, and we know, you know, uh, people like uh, Dr. Malone and McCulloch. Particularly Malone, I think their Twitter accounts were shut down. Um, um, I'm, I'm going off memory, Katie could probably confirm that, but I remember uh, you know, Robert Malone was complaining a lot about his Twitter account being suspended, uh, et cetera, at the time, and that was that was suspected um, as you know the heavy arm of the government being involved in that. And now it looks like the Twitter files confirmed it, uh, and here's a case that's basically um, found in favour of. Um, or found against the government and their actions in America. Again, you know, extrapolation here, but, you know, we're five eyes, okay? We're, we're in that sort of ecosystem. It, it, it would be, what, reasonable to suggest that the same sort of 
pressuring of platforms was or may still be happening here at a local level in New Zealand? Oh, well, well, sort of it, 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 I mean, I don't think there can be any doubt about that. We, we know we know that, um, I think Jacinda Ardern admitted it, didn't she, that she almost had a bat phone line into the DIA um, who, uh, during the COVID times, to, to shut down and bring down Facebook posts and, and, and Facebook pages. Um, um, that criticised, you know, um, the, the government's actions. Um, so I don't think there's any reason to assume that that's now gone away. Okay. All right. So could this have any influence of what happens here, apart from giving us an insight as to how this has been operating? Uh, we talked about case law from other countries applying uh, into New Zealand, and generally those that are applied are Westminster system. Uh, the Americans have a constitution, which, you know, they hold in the highest regard. It, it, it's, it's enshrined. Um, New Zealand doesn't. Our um, freedom of speech is burrowed away in a piece of legislation, whereas, you know, theirs is front centre in the First Amendment. Um, so uh, we could do. Um, I don't know that we've got a judiciary um, that would be so... Uh, yeah, so mind. I, there's, there's, yeah. Look, I, I'm happy to be surprised, but I haven't seen any of the decisions late of late that. Well, look at South Africa. Going back to the previous thing, someone had the balls to order that to be put out there. Great. You yeah, can no, be pleasantly surprised. Yeah, I would agree um, entirely with what Katie has said. Uh, the American Constitution and their the rights. Um, uh, jurisprudence over there is far stronger than than it is over here, and and our sort of. Uh, Westminster type democracy, you know, with our Bill of Rights and the exceptions it has to the freedoms in it. So, yeah, that they're very strong on that stuff over there. They make quite strong um, statements regarding the uh, the rights and freedoms of their citizens over there all the time. Um, but sadly, uh, in this country, um, we don't quite have that. And I, I might say yet. We discussed this actually on a legal hub, uh, I don't know, about six weeks ago, I think, about um, yeah. you know, whether we could entrench or why don't we have an entrenched Bill of Rights. Uh, and it's just a constitutional issue, really. There's nothing to, to stop us having an entrenched Bill of Rights that puts the rights and freedoms in that uh, at the very top and, and centre and focus of everybody in the country. But that will require big constitutional change that I don't think any prime minister or any government really is going to be interested in uh, for a long time. Sadly. Okay, we're done with that yeah. particular issue. Moving okay. on to the New York case. Judge rules teachers can get jobs back with back pay, okay, oh. after refusing COVID-19 vaccine. That would be, for some, quite a bit of back pay. Like, you know, months and months and maybe even a yes. few years. And there'll be thousands of them, probably. Yes. Well, 10 yes. employees. Yeah. Uh, and I think, just looking at the dates here, um, possibly from October 2021 to uh, February 2023. Okay. Yeah, so that's a... a year and a half back pay. So they actually save some, some, themselves, the, whoever pays the teachers, I guess it's the, um, what, the state education system there, mm. um, probably save themselves some salary money during that time. Did they? Well, they still have to get teachers to teach. Oh, of course, yeah. Um, so I, but you know, we do know that all of those that were mandated have been under mandated by law have been under significant pressure. You know, all of the healthcare, healthcare and education centre were really uh, stretched and bent um, 
over these times. So perhaps there is some savings from not having enough teachers on the ground. You, but, but you pay later potentially. This it, creates it, a precedent. Yeah. This is a precedent for all the other thousands and thousands of teachers in, the, in New York that um, uh, were fired uh, for not being vaccinated. And, you know, we can see another one, another positive decision. Uh, we're getting that pushback and we're seeing the um, pushback happening. And in the latter courts, uh, decisions coming, um, being handed down that are, you know, really positive to support human rights and the right to choose. Yeah. yeah well, this is a, oh, sorry. Yep. Oh, I was just going to say, Paul, it's another example of how uh, different, uh, you know, this country and the United States is when it comes to treating the rights and freedoms of individuals uh, versus the state um, is. Uh, and that the judgment, th these plaintiffs here um, applied for an exemption to the mandate or for the mandate uh, are based on religious grounds, okay? So they, they used, um, and I'm not sure what religion they said, but they said because of our religion, we cannot take this vaccine or any vaccine. Look, it might have been Jehovah's Witnesses. You know, they've got blood transfusion exemptions and what have you. I don't, it doesn't say what religion, but... The court said this, that the court sees no rational basis for not allowing unvaccinated classroom teachers in amongst an admitted population of primarily unvaccinated students, the judge wrote. As such, the decision to summarily deny the classroom teachers amongst the petitioners based on an undue hardship uh, without any further evidence of individualised analysis is arbitrary, capricious and unreasonable. As such, each classroom teacher amongst the petitioners is entitled to the religious exemption from the vaccine mandate. Okay. So, yeah. yeah. And interestingly, if you remember, so he's granted, you know, they used, uh, if you want to use, use or coin the phrase, um, let, well, let's loosely say they, they used uh, a religious defence. They argued my religion uh, means that um, I can't take this vaccine I should still be able to teach because, you know, my religion is more important than perhaps taking this vaccine and whatever. Uh, and, of course, in America, the first, you know, um, amendment or other ones or the constitutional right uh, allows your freedom of religion. So, again, it's been upheld. Um, but if you remember, um, we talked some weeks ago about that teacher who... That's right, uh, yeah. Yep. Yeah, here in New Zealand, uh, for the same religious reasons, said, I cannot refer to uh, a girl in my class as a boy and call them they or them. I, I'm sorry, he or she is a she or a he. And for, and, and he was the teacher was quite strong on the religious grounds. There was no controversy that, in fact, the teacher was strongly, you know, uh, Christian conservative. Um, and he argued, as we were, you know, as we discussed the case here on the, on the show, that his religion vehemently, um, strongly meant he could not behave in that manner. Uh, and yet in New Zealand, he was dismissed, you see, you know, and this is, so it just shows the, the stark difference between the way uh, America treats these rights and freedoms and New Zealand does and other countries perhaps. Um, I, I was just thinking before, Winston Peters has come out and he's talked about, you know, some sort of wide arranging inquiry, should he be anywhere near levers of power? And, uh, and part of that is to compensate people who were damaged by mandates. I presume he means the same sort of thing. People who are turfed out of their jobs, and uh, maybe he's just talking about government jobs like teaching and health service, et cetera, they're still out. You know, and, and 
and and back paying them because he said it would cost hundreds of millions. So, so he was saying that only a week ago. Yeah, and look, that could be um, an election promise. It's going. He's going to um, have a hard. Well, it's fair though, isn't it? It's fair. Look, uh, you and I will certainly uh, not disagree on that. Um, but, I don't think you know, he's got yeah. to. He he will have to get across with whichever other parties he makes. Um, he he makes coalition with, uh, and you know, my view is that's going to be a hard thing to get across the line with any of the with any of the current major parties that he may fall a coalition with. But um, you know, my thoughts are absolutely because they're in denial clear. still. They're in some sort of denial. I don't even think it's denial based on the uh, national policy that I've just seen about um, vaccines uh, in all age groups and for all types. You know, we're going to have GPs uh, uh, encouraged uh, by financial benefits to uh, vaccinate huge populations of their uh, of their patients in their clinic. Great. <laughs> they really uh, so, can't read the room, can they, these people? No, absolutely not. But we have got the Court of Appeal NZDS, sorry, NZ Teachers case that's still yeah. um, outstanding. So we, you know, and they've been sitting on that decision uh, for quite some time now. So we are much closer to seeing the outcome of a, of a higher court um, in the Court of Appeal uh, in New Zealand than what we uh, have been before. So, you know, let's hope this decision comes out. Uh, sooner rather than later, but we do know it's going to be. Well, why uh, sitting on it for, for a long time? Just, just can you just explain why that would be? Do, invariably, decisions do take uh, take some time. There was, a, I think, it was a three court, uh, three bench, three judge bench um, of the court of appeal. Uh, so they'll no doubt be teasing every um, uh, out every decision and things like that. I imagine that there's probably some political pressure. Um, but you know, it's not unusual for a case uh, to take quite some time. Uh, I think you know the longest case I've had outstanding for a judgment was fourteen months. Wow, uh, okay. But yeah. you know, the wheels of justice does do move slowly. Um, I think we could just hope that that decision will be out sooner rather than later, and we'll be uh, guided by it. But again, you know, it's a year of an election. I'm sure there's lots of considerations that are being made as to timing of these very political decisions because that's what they are in the end yeah i think you're right okay let's uh, look at our last uh, issue and this is something that we've been talking about recently here at rcr this whole concept of managed retreat gives me the willies every time i hear that uh, combination of words now it's all about climate adaptation as if it was something natural mm -hmm. <laughs> um so how do we want to start talking about this on our legal hub? Oh, I'm happy to um, lead off. Uh, so the um, managed retreat is a concept that has been considered and bandied about and apparently deserves a 292-page report um, alongside um, our long-term strategy to adapt to climate change. Uh, so we've got some... Uh, what, by growing an extra leg or something? Is that is that is that what we're talking about? The adaptation. Well, on all accounts, it seems that we should probably grow some gills, um, <laughs> because it seems to be in response to rising sea levels. Okay, um, yeah, it's lapping at my door right now. I can see that. Yeah. Uh, so, look, 
it it is interesting. It is, I guess, the new concept that we can anticipate. At this point in time, there is much discussion around the fact that the legislation currently in place is not suitable to achieve these desired results to allow decisions to be made about areas that are subject to um, impacts by the climate such that people should be moved on. Uh, and you don't have to be worried for long um, uh, or the words don't need to give you too much um, cause for concern for long because they've also suggested that there's some alternative words that they will that they will give um, to the words uh, managed retreat because they are clearly, you know, it is actually probably going to be swear words um, before long um, as it starts to directly impact people. And, you know, we can see how many years on from Christchurch now, 10 years, um, and, and they're still fluffing about, um, you know, with getting Christchurch back um, and, and properly, you know, running as a city, you know, still after 10 years. So goodness gracious what, um, uh, you know, power they'll have in these uh, new proposals that they're, that they're proposing, and what we're going to start seeing in the new new resource management legislation, which is which is currently being crafted. But doesn't it have to be based on something? Um, you know, okay, sea level rise around the coast. I'm not seeing it. I don't see any rise. Um, Nick, I don't know if you've seen the sea level rise. The weather, it seems to me, and this I know it's anecdotal, has been pretty well the same as it's always been. I haven't noticed any unusual patterns or anything. So if you're going to go to these dramatic you know, adaptation and managed retreat. It's got to be based on something. It is. It's, ba it's, ba it's based on a climate emergency, Paul. Haven't you heard of it? Well, I've heard of it, but I just don't see it. Well, again, you conflated the word weather with climate earlier too. You've got to get your language right, Paul. The weather and the climate are different things. It's a climate emergency. It's not a weather emergency. I mean, okay. look, I'm, look, I'm being facetious, but no, no, look, uh, um, look, uh, I mean, you just um, can't invent something and then have a whole lot of things happen. It's like pulling a rabbit out of the hat. It seems to be quite, kind of like that. Really? You yeah, can say right, that really. after the last four years? Well, well look, I, I mean, just on Katie's point, you know, you can say that over the last four years. Interestingly, the the 292-page report that's been, you know, um, produced by this uh, working group, um, in inverted commas, um, uh, you know, it, it has a summary of recommendations about what they think the government sh must do and urgently do and acts now or else the whole, you know, the whole world's going to uh, fall over in a hell in a handbasket type thing. And, and, of course, some of those things um, are going to be very familiar to, to listen to the show. There will be a p emergency power to acquire land by the government uh, emergency powers to retire land from use by cancellation of that person's title to the land. Okay. Uh, powers to red sticker land. Uh, powers to cancel and nullify any resource consent granted in respect of that land. Uh, ministerial powers where people refuse to move on from the land that they are on. So they come along and they say, look, this could be underwater in 150 years because the ocean over there is flooding across the street. You have to move on. No, I'm not. Ministerial power is where people refuse to move. Uh, and, you know, I mean, we saw it again during COVID that some of those powers, um, which I don't think have been repealed, uh, technically allowed Ministry of Health officials into someone's house to pull people out, to, vac to, to, to give them a, a, the vaccine and to 
essentially red stick of the house too if they thought the house was contaminated. So the same sorts of things in this um, working group um, recommendations. Um, power to acquire land. Um, power to control. See, power to control succession, gift, or future sale of someone's title to the land. I mean, this is the most uh, uh, unbelievable uh, interruption of personal property rights that you could ever expect. Um, power and power to enter by force, of course. You've got to have that. Okay. So that's what some of the recommendations are to um, in, in this working group to the to the to the government that will come in, or whether they will, you know, utilise the report and put it into legislation and, and allow, you know, these powers to be enacted into law. Well, I guess it's only a matter of time. Um, but I suppose, you know, um, it's, it's a work in progress. It's something to be wary of. And, and, and of course, you know, we'll certainly be staying on top of it. And there's a consultation to whole th thread running through it, isn't there? I, that's a, that's a chosen word. That I've consulting uh, with their consulting with their um uh fat cat um contractors that are getting the chance to draft these things. Well, well there's that. I mean, how much work is in a 290 page report? It's a lot of work. There's a lot of writing. A lot of work. No, but I mean, you know, the consultation that the treaty where the treaty comes in, the the uh, say that Maori have iwi, you know, coastal land is popular land. It's worth a lot of money, and you don't need to be living on it. To own it. Nope, nope, absolutely. And look, all of this is being done under a very similar or, or, or familiar sounding concept, which is keeping us physically and psychologically safe. Oh. I can only imagine the psychological distress that this is going to call as, cause as people get hauled off their land under the guise of a um, climate Having emergency. Having the cheek to say that. Well, it's number one outcome. Right, who do they think we are? Silly, I think. Look, this the has to be morons, like this has unstable to be on, morons. You know, <laughs> this has to be asked of every single party what their position is going to be on this. This is an undermining of our property rights, which we have fought so long for, which our forefathers came to this country to, um, you know, encourage and support. Um, that you know, the people before us and the people before us, you know, the nature of. Um, you know, the nature of humans is to evolve and to... Um, Sounds like a land grab. Look, it really does, and it is pretty incredible, and it's putting the power in a very few number of people and discretionary power in, 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 given entirely to the minister to make a call when someone's not getting off the land. Um, you know, they talk about appeal rights and the like, but you're going to have a situation where they'll come in, condemn an area... And everyone has to be out. Sure, there'll be some recompense, but it won't be uh, the value of your land. Um, it will be some formula that they have created. Um, or they might just be putting you into uh, uh, and relocating you to a new place, uh, which is, you know, uh, one of those. Well, they're talking about precincts. They're talking about precincts. And I think military estates. Yep, there you go. So what, military estates? So, you know, we're getting a situation where it's just overbearing regulation um, and uh, a real a real nerve, quite frankly. Um, hmm. I, I, I find it, um, yeah, I, I will do 
everything in my power to publicly oppose this, but I encourage every single person to write to their local minister and ask them what their position is on this, because I think this should be an election. Uh, this should be a deciding factor for you in the election. It's, it's interesting you say that because of the people we've spoken to have been at some of these meetings. What has kind of come out, is my impression anyway, is that many of the officials, the local officials, didn't kind of know what was going on here. They were just sort of like showing up. And it was in the hands of sort of like a team that had parachuted in to do the cell, you know. Yeah, look, I don't know about that, sorry, but it wouldn't be surprising. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if this isn't trickled down to uh, local council levels, although you know, local councils are certainly named in here and, and it talks about them also being responsible for covering off the uh, cost of any... Well, uh, at the Raumati meeting in Kapiti, Jim Bolger, who led the meeting, um, basically said anyone who had a problem with this was a conspiracy theorist. I've seen him on the video saying that. Wow. All right, Jim, well, let's have a look at all your properties that you're about to lose because I'm sure they're in a very Well, he's nice in Waikanae, so he's okay, see? He's not on the oh. coast, strictly. Well, he could be near a river or underneath a mountain. Um, <laughs> you know, it's not just the coast. Mountain of something. <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, so just on Katie's point before about opposing it, there's a, there's a link here that says that the... Uh, the inquiry is open for submissions now until the new parliament convenes, make a submission. And I've just clicked on the link that's provided, but nothing pops up. So um, perhaps what we'll do to uh, our dear listeners is to find uh, the uh, URL that, um, or, the, or the website you can go to just to make a submission against this and encourage listeners to go and uh, and submit against it. Um, Maybe we could do something like we did with the, um, you know, the disinformation stuff. We can absolutely. get a form and, yeah, you know, I'm not committing anyone to anything, but that's maybe something we can think about. No, and look, in the meantime, you can still go to that um, uh, online censorship page uh, because we've got an email, uh, we've got a list there of all of the uh, members of Parliament's email addresses. Oh, cool. Um, yep. And you can just utilise that. Um, it's in a Word downloadable document. Um, I'll probably share the link under the re well, I will share the link under the replay so it gives people access. So don't don't wait for us. Get out there and, and do this for yourself. But I think that this should certainly be uh, something that you would um, make as a consideration when you're choosing who to vote for this year. Um, you know, this is this is incredible. This will change the face of what you always thought was your right. Any last <laughs> words? Well, Sorry. it's just—it's just an extension of what's been going on over the last uh, year or five, I suppose. And you know, some people have been quite prominent um, arguing against it, and and you know, Julian Batchelor is one of them, um, saying that. Hang on a sec, you know, uh, I mean, councils have actually changed their district plans as well, particularly up north and down the west coast, to to say that in fact, um, you know, that they've. they've change the zoning of some land to make it culturally significant and historic, yep. which has completely and utterly stuffed a landowner's rights to do anything they want on that land, decrease the value of it, uh, surely with the intent uh, that the people will just move off it, sell it, and give it back to or, or make sure Iwi take it back over again. So it's uh, it's, an, it's an extension of that, um, and if we're not very careful, we're going to, I mean, say we're going to end up like Zimbabwe, but... Um, Are you saying it's co-governance, basically, the march of co-governance? Well, I, I don't know if it's a march of co-governance, but, but you know, you give um, 
you, you give politicians an inch and they'll take a yard on this sort of stuff. So, uh, you, yeah, we just have to be really careful where we go with, um, you know, the power to acquire land, the power to make people move on, the power to cancel the title to your land, the power to uh, cancel a resource consent which you paid lots of money to get and uh, et cetera, the, the power to, you know, uh, cancel any succession and title on that land that you have to your to your uh, fa- family members if you pass away. Uh, this is, I mean, this is unbelievable stuff, really. Unbelievable stuff. All, all for the supposed um, claim to try and help this climate emergency. Which we, which many people would argue is a fantasy. It doesn't exist. Well, not only, but look, what, whatever happened to to me saying, you know what, what, that the, the ocean over there is going to rise a metre or three and come across and, and flood my land? I'll no, take I'll the take hit. The, Up to I'll you, right? I'll take the hit. No one's going to insure my property? Well, that's my problem, isn't it? You won't be isn't safe, that, though, isn't, isn't that my problem? You won't be what, safe. What, what, what if I put my home on, on, on stilts, on, on massive stilts, you know, and, and, it's, and it's 25 metres off the ground? Is that will that be okay? But you're not allowed to do it. You're not allowed to make decisions for yourself, knowing your personal circumstances, um, to live your own life. You know the government. The government, yeah, as you say, Paul, the government's trying to keep you safe. Hey, can't have your mental health being affected, Nick. You know, on stilts. <laughs> yeah, on stilts. Yeah. Anything more to say about any of the issues before we wrap our legal hub for this Wednesday this week? Nope. Have a lovely week, everybody. Only one more thing. Uh, I got an email from DIA during the week that said that all the submissions now are on the um, proposals for safer online services and media platforms are now being collated. They'll be summarised and we'll get, um, you know, they'll be produced uh, on a website shortly and et cetera. But they've said here the summary and analysis of submissions won't be finished until late this year. Uh, the submission summary report is going to be made available uh, at this website. They give me a link, but not until much later this year. More policy development needs to be done before decisions can be made about changes to any legislation. The timing of the next steps are going to depend on government priorities following the election. So that's look. Right. That's you know that, that explains where they're at with that. Okay. Yeah. Thanks for that. Cool. All right, Nick Kearney and Katie Ashby-Coppins, great to have you back, and um, let's do it all again in a week's time, shall we? Good morning, everyone. Thank you. Have a great day. Have a great day. See you. RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio.